Hello and welcome to the podcast of Tech EU. I am your host, Andrew Degler, and this is a special episode of our podcast put together in collaboration with our friends over at The Next Web. We are going to talk today about raising funding in times of crisis, and I'm telling you, you're in for a real treat today. Here is the plan. First, you will hear from a veteran founder turned VC, Alistair Mitchell of Equity Ventures, and then we will move on to discuss the topic further with an amazing panel of European investors whom I will introduce in just a bit. This episode of our podcast is brought to you by Data Market Services Accelerator, or the DMS. That's a program backed by the European Commission, which provides training and investment opportunities to data-driven startups at no cost. DMS invites 50 startups across Europe to receive training in key topics such as data science, GDPR, and intellectual property, alongside mentorship from a consortium of industry-leading experts. Do you want to find more and join with your startup? Head over to datamarketservices.eu and of course I will leave a link in the show notes. Now, as I just said, I'm joined today by Alistair Mitchell, partner at Equity Ventures. Hi Ali, thanks a lot for joining today. Hey, it's great to be here. So if you can start uh, uh, with a, a brief outline of uh, uh, who you are, what is it you're doing right now and uh, what you did uh, prior to joining Equity. So first of all, it's it's great to be talking to you. I'm, it's early morning here. I'm in the Bay Area on the West Coast of the US. I'm a Brit by background, as you can tell, perhaps from the accent. Prior to three years ago, joining EQT um, as a partner, joining the dark side, as I call it, as an investor, I was a startup founder through and through for many years. I've done four startups, mostly my own, and sometimes joining as a, a you know first employee in others. Been this is my third cycle now. So the first startup I ever did in college was. 2000, 2002, right through 9-11 and the post.com crash. Then um, the third startup I did was I was raising my Series B right in the teeth of the last crisis. Um, and now I'm a, a founder, you know, entrepreneur, now turned investor, trying to help companies to do it. So lots of experience of helping companies and growing my own businesses. B2B investor mostly. So all the startups I've done have been B2B SaaS um, when it was called ASP, through to Web 2.0, to the you know to, to the cloud, honored to be doing that now at EQT, which is a our second fund is about a 700 million dollar fund. We're only five years old, so we've been going pretty fast. We invest across Europe and in the US, and we're all founder operators. So we are all people like myself who have been through it, ups and downs, and we try and be try to be the most empathetic, valuable person around the board table to the best founders. Um, trying to basically create the VC that we wanted when we were all founders. So that's what I do. And um, I'm, I, we invest in Europe primarily. We're, we've got five offices in London, Paris, Berlin, Stockholm, and then an, an office in San Francisco. And we help companies B2B and B2C to, to grow very fast internationally, whether you're going from Europe into the US or from the US into Europe. So you're in San Francisco. Does it mean that you don't deal with European startups uh, as much as the rest uh, of the team? No, we deal with we deal with a lot. Well, personally, I I invest in um, businesses that are going at the moment from the US into Europe. So a number of companies that are now accelerating into Europe at, at Series B and C. But all of my angel investments, I have five portfolio companies in Europe, in London, in Stockholm, in Paris, and work with a number in Germany as well. So we have a number of investments that are going from Europe into the you know the other way. Um, and as a business, you know, as a, as a firm, we we have 60 portfolio companies spread all across Europe, um, as well as um, in San Francisco. So, yeah, we're very active in Europe. And, and personally, I'm there. I'm well, I, I'm there virtually every day now, but <laughs> I would have been there practically every month um, in London, in Paris and in Stockholm. Right, right. So since uh, today we're talking about uh, raising funding uh, during crisis times, and this is something that you have experienced in, can you uh, talk uh, me through uh, that experience uh, that you just mentioned, uh, raising a Series B in the very uh, during the very peak of the crisis? Yeah, I mean, look, I I remember that those days extremely vividly, and will remember them for the rest of my life. Right, I remember where I was sitting when I got the now infamous RIP Good Times uh, deck from Sequoia back in 2007. Um, and uh, I remember what that, that that hit my stomach like a gut punch. And I remember having to talk to my investors about keeping us to survive uh, after our Series A through to the Series B. I remember having to let go a large number of my our team and who are now all friends, but, but you know, so hard at the time. I remember having to ask 
some of my team to go consulting while they were still working for us and actually giving some of the money they were making on consulting to us as a business to keep us going. I mean, we did everything. You know, I, I think we have deep respect for that period. It made us better, much better startup in the long run. But at the time, it was the hardest period. And so I respect hugely everything that founders are going through right now and and really understand it. And I, and I remember two things that I think will always stick with me that have taught me a lot from, from this. One is the great investors stay with their companies and support them through these periods, right? That the investor we had in our Series A had to make some very tough calls about who they were going to support in their portfolio and who they couldn't. And they bridged us through that period. And then we were able to raise an amazing Series B after the period. And they, they, that, that investor will always be a friend. I, when I was starting my, la- my next fund after I did, the, did Huddle, which was the startup we're talking about, the, I, he was the first person I went to go to to become a partner with me in that fund because, you know, trusted partner through it. So the great investors, there's a phrase, you make your money in the uptimes, but you make your reputation in the downtimes. And, and that's a great example of an investor behaving very well, not putting terms that are bad and supporting their, their company through it. That's the first thing. The second thing is that you learn huge amounts. And so I'm a huge believer in the, 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 the fire the kind of the brush fire, the forest fire that is these periods, although they are very painful, I think the companies that get through it are always better. If you look at the best companies that were founded of our of our current decade, they were all founded in either the 2007, 2008, 2009 crisis or the one before that. So it's an amazing time to start companies. But also, it, it's actually what companies that are going through it right now change their model. We, we changed our model completely. We went from being a freemium business competing against Box and Dropbox, burning millions of dollars trying to acquire lots of free users as an underfunded European startup, right? So going up into the enterprise with a direct sales team. And, and it literally transformed our prospects overnight doing that. And so, you know, I think that the best companies that we see learn, pivot, adapt, and actually use it to their advantage. Do the thing they kind of always knew they were needing to do, but use this period to go and do it because they basically had some pressure taken off. And that's what leads to real innovation, and companies that were maybe on a straight line, good path, suddenly going exponential as they come out of it. And then, then the last thing I would say is I just learned a lot as a founder. I mean, you learn a lot about yourself, your own strengths. And, you know, what the phrase you know, Nietzsche, what, what fails to kill you can only make you stronger is so true. It's a cliche, but it is so true, um, like all good cliches. But then you also learn about how to treat people, right? You know, those people who I had to say goodbye to are still my best friends. And we work with all the time. Some of them are still at EQT with us, like they came to, with us at EQT. And that I think is a, I'm very proud of that. And I, I hope to help my my startups that we can go through that together because we're all in this together and it's not personal. It's just doing what is the best thing for the company. And then clearly you want to make sure everyone gets great jobs and can work at the end of it. But it's a, it's a very tough period, but, but at the same time, it actually yields so much excitement and, and opportunities at the end of it. Absolutely. So you mentioned this uh, this feeling, uh, this sort of punch in the gut feeling that you got uh, back then. Is this similar to what you uh, felt uh, when the whole uh, lockdown and pandemic crisis started? Now, yeah, absolutely. I, I am a little bit different because clearly, as an investor, you're in the very privileged position that you have a longer term business plan, right? You're effectively funded for several years, and so you don't have the same what what am I going to eat for breakfast tomorrow feeling that you have when you're in a startup. Yeah. But for all of our startups, so we had that. Like I absolutely had that funch. And I and then and and what that led us to do was to get on the phone immediately to every single founder and start to talk them through what is likely to happen and how they can, how we can help them. You know, like that minute. And it was very obvious, right? And we actually did that early. We went remote early. We started talking to our founders early and we got them in a good position early, which I'm really proud of. But it above all, we're trying to be the most empathetic and supportive investor for all of our companies, and that's that's what it takes. Right. I see. So uh, how about uh, what's going on right now? So I've recently talked uh, to a few European VCs on this uh, podcast as well. And it kind of seems like many of them are focusing on the needs of their existing portfolios right now, as they should, of course. Um, But at the same time, they're not really looking uh, for new deals that actively anymore. So how is this for uh, you? How is this for uh, EQT? I think the first month also, you know, of the crisis, yes, everyone was very much focusing on their own companies, making sure they had enough time, enough money, bridging them where they were necessary, helping them. I hope that's what most VCs were doing with their companies, that's what they should have been. I think that's coming to an end now. And actually, um, we're now very much back looking at new deals. Right. Okay. This is great. And uh, what do you think is happening to valuations of startups right now? Do you see any big adjustments? Yeah, yes, we do. I mean, I think we see 
a 30-40% drop across the board in line with the public markets. And I definitely don't think that this is the start of a, you know, a bounce, a V-shaped bounce. I think we're in a false dawn. I think that there's going to be another downturn in, in the public markets and in, in investor sentiment, and things are going to drop again before they get better. But that not with said, yes, there's been a drop in valuations. I think if you were going into the, the crisis trying to raise money and were burning a lot of money, you're going to have to make some significant cuts. And frankly, any round, even a flat, you know, the phrase flat is the new up is what I'm hearing a lot. But but equally, the best companies always get funded. That's a cliche, again, a VC cliche, but they do always get funded. And there's still a lot of dry powder amongst investors for the, for the best companies. And actually, it's it's bifurcating the market. And this always happens in a crisis. The best get better, and the, the ones that are having a tough time get, unfortunately, have an even tougher time. And so if you're a great company, growing fast, benefiting from the crisis, or very well set up, there's still the investor dry powder, and everyone's looking for the opportunities for growth. So people are putting more money into you at just as high valuations. And we've we've been three of our companies have raised up rounds, starting completing in the crisis, and one of them has been an you know it's a real winner. Unfortunately, out of this, people staying at home and stuff, and has done extremely well and raised a massive round. So there are some winners, and they, they will always get funded. Yeah. But generally, you know, yes, there has been a drop across the board and and of the order of 40 percent. And uh, so if you are getting back uh, right now to uh, looking for new deals, you probably talk to founders. And have you already had uh, pitches uh, uh, done over Zoom and how, or any other uh, messaging services? And how is that working out for you? Well, we used to be a, a blue jean shop and then we, like right. the rest of the world, changed to Zoom. But um, And we use every single other one, Hangouts, whatever. But no, we, we've, we've actually always been digital. So all our pitches have been over Zoom. Right. We, we typically have people do come to an office in some form, perhaps, but actually most of them are virtual because we are split across five offices across nine hours time zone, right? From Stockholm, Berlin, all the way through to San Francisco. Um, and we do pitches late at night, very early in the morning. So we've always been digital. We have our own um, AI sourcing tool called Motherbrain. We live in Slack. Oh, yeah. um, and so, you know, for us, actually, there's no difference. And and and, and founders love it, right, actually. You know, the, the, you, it also, I think, it forces you to not concentrate on the, on the pitch, right? Sometimes you can get very excited by an amazing pitch as a founder or as a VC, but it forces you to really focus on the fundamentals of the business. And it really also um, allows you to interact with people in a different way. And, and there are some amazing founders who maybe aren't great pitchers. Right. And pitching is a skill and it does help you to raise money, but you could be building an amazing business and, and maybe you haven't had as much experience pitching or you're just not as good public speaking. But the, the fundamentals of how you're building your business is phenomenal and allows you to focus on that. Right. And I think we really like that. So, you know, for us, it's business as usual. Right. This is really interesting. Do you do you know if there are many uh, VCs on the market who do it in a similar way, who, who are more used to this kind of pitching? It's a great question. We're, we're pretty unique in that we're so virtual um, and that we're spread across so many offices, which is unusual for VCs. Most VCs tend to be small teams in one office. We've been amazed at how we've heard comments from people where they say, oh, I can't get any deals done because my partner, you know, if they're an associate, my partner just isn't working or can't work or, you know, just does stuff off email and can't jump on a Zoom call to do a pitch. We've been amazed, even from big name VCs, about how undigital they are. So, you know, I think... We clearly didn't think we were unusual, um, but but actually we are. So so yes, I think unfortunately VC is still incredibly backward, um, which is a real shame. And hopefully this will force everyone into the new, the real you know age of today. Yeah, I think uh, they won't have any choice really. Anyways, no. uh, you are a multidisciplinary uh, VC, uh, and uh, uh, has anything changed? Are there any verticals that you are not considering investing in at all anymore? I think the first thing is, so beyond verticals, I think the first thing to say is that um, we, we had a focus before of only investing in the number one in each category or the best company in each category because of the experience that I had directly in the last crisis, where the best, a rising tides lift, lifts all ship, you know, uh, right, you know, maybe you've heard that phrase in English, but that is a great strategy when everything is on, an up, on a, on a uh, cycle that is going upwards. Certainly. But as soon as there is a crisis like this, the, the number three, four, five, and sometimes even the number two gets hit very hard and only the winner does better. So we have a very big focus, regardless of the sector, of only investing in the number one and always have done. And this is just proving that out. But there, clearly there are some short-term winners, collaboration, food delivery, um, health tech, and so on. That, you know, um, Gaming has done amazingly. Our gaming portfolio is just crushing it in this. And 
These are short-term winners that will, as we get more used to being virtual and remote, will continue to do well. Um, and everyone's piling into those as VCs, which is pretty short-term, honestly. Long-term, all sectors that we're digitizing is going to be accelerated, you know, from office services to retail, huge trend of grocery, going checkout less. We've got an investment there called Standard Cognition. EdTech, you know, much more remote learning from schools now they've gone through this. Um, healthcare, obviously more digital. And, and then that's in the long term. In the medium term, you know, even the very sociable things that we do are going to be accelerated, right? Big gatherings like sports and concerts and conferences are going to be dead for at least a year. And frankly, conferences, I kind of hope they never come back, right? You know, you can do those remote <laughs> virtual. Like how, how many times have you sat in huge conferences and just basically gone there to meet some people around the edges, right? All the content can be delivered, delivered online. So I think this, is, this comes back to, you know, there's, there is a fundamental change. Some things will never come back. Right. And uh, you are a perfect person also to ask the next question uh, that I had in my list, uh, because you are uh, based in the US, but uh, uh, born and raised in Europe and deal a lot with European uh, startups. So before uh, the crisis hit, uh, we saw for many months, if not years, uh, this increase of interest uh, from the US-based uh, venture capitalists in European startups. We, we saw more and more money basically coming from the VCs in that direction. Do you think this is something that's going to uh, continue after after the COVID or is it something that's going to change? Europe had a few years where it actually outdid the US in terms of returns. And so LPs and VCs are all very focused on Europe as being, a, as a, being an amazing place to invest now, which is amazing. If you've been working in this market for 15 years, been shouting about how great Europe is for years and no one listens, now is the time. So I think that that is a long-term trend that is here to stay. And, and, and it's amazing, actually. The more VCs, US, European, Asian here, amazing, right? But I think for the next foreseeable future, just the next year, I think only those that are actually here from the US, like Sequoia, Lightspeed, et cetera, will insight will be super active. I think some of the visitors who are just coming over, they'll take time to come back because they will retrench to their home markets for a while. But long term, you know, it's here to stay. European uh, ecosystem is is accelerating and will continue to accelerate. Right. Now, Ali, thank you so much. This is it for my questions. So thank you so much for your insights. Thank you. It's great. And it is time for us to bring the discussion to our amazing panel of European VCs. And while the panelists are unmuting their mics, a quick reminder, this episode is brought to you by Data Market Services, an equity-free program backed by the European Commission. The program offers matchmaking with investors, mentorship, and even a chance to get a free ticket for the next web conference in Amsterdam. Head over to datamarketservices.eu for more info on how to boost your startup. Now, let me introduce our today's panelists. First, Ichaso Del Palacio, the Investment Director at Notion. Hi, Ichaso. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Second, uh, Jacqueline uh, Fanden and the Partner at Peak Capital. Hi, Jacqueline. How are you? Nice to be here. And uh, we have Janneke Nissen, uh, the co-founder of uh, Capital T. Hi, Janneke. Thanks for being here. Hello. Hi. Thanks for inviting me. Now, thank you all so much for joining. And of course, we still have uh, uh, Alistair Mitchell, a partner at uh, Equity Ventures, with whom we just uh, had a longer interview. Uh, now we can get to the questions. So uh, I would normally probably ask everyone to introduce themselves, but since we don't have too much time, uh, let's just combine the first question and the intro round. So a question uh, for everyone, probably except uh, Ali. Uh, how actively are you looking for new deals at the moment? And uh, are there actually verticals that you have become more interested in in light of the crisis? Uh, let's have answers uh, starting from uh, Ichaso. Um, hi. So, uh, yes, as you said, uh, my name is Ichaso. I am uh, the investment director at uh, Notion, Notion Capital, based in London. We are a 10-year fund. We are a B2B SaaS-focused investor. We invest um, across Europe. We've been investing in, in SaaS companies for the last 10 years. We have 60 companies in the in the portfolio, and uh, we do checks between 2 and 8 million uh, usually in the first round and, and then we follow our money. Um, in terms of the, the investments, 
yes, we are uh, open for business, and uh, and in fact, uh, we closed an investment. We signed a term sheet at the end of March, and we are uh, now closing that investment. And um, definitely, there are some verticals which are more likely to be funded during this time. I would say there are three type of companies, right? The ones which are uh, negatively affected, and those can be companies that are, for example, in the travel space or on the offline retail uh, shopping space. Uh, they are the ones which are positively affected, like remote working, remote communication, healthcare, and so on. And then there are the ones which are mildly uh, affected. And I think uh, specifically those ones are the ones which are in a good position to raise money at the moment. Uh, we are a SaaS investor and that um, makes you think that probably we are the least affected ones in such a way that our companies have subscriptions, uh, yearly contracts and recurring revenues. So we should see a pretty mild um, a change uh, in many of those verticals. So I think obviously we are open for businesses, uh, for investments and for those businesses which are mildly affected and they are um, gr uh, growing as we we should expect. Uh, uh, I think they are um, the ones more, more likely to, to, to get the money. Right. Uh, Janneke, how about you? Are there verticals you are more interested in now? Well, we uh, did our first close uh, of the fund um, early in the year. So we have a relatively new fund. Um, so we're definitely actively looking. And um, uh, the focus of our fund is at seed stage, companies that solve real problems with AI. And, and the three areas where we focus on are digital health, uh, education, and business to business. So that hasn't changed uh, due to COVID. It only COVID only confirmed that that is the right path for us. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Jacqueline, how about uh, Peak Capital? Yeah, we are uh, SaaS and marketplace investors. Uh, maybe a little background on Peak Capital. It's a 66 million euro fund and similar to Notion uh, has been in the business of VC for the past 10 years. Um, and we're experts in, in SaaS and marketplace models. That focus has not changed um, in because of COVID. Uh, generally, we're quite vertical agnostic, and I would say we still are. Obviously, within the portfolio, we see a couple of verticals that are doing better than others. Uh, for example, uh, EdTech uh, is doing quite well. Um, we have a marketplace in crafting, which is going through the roof. And so a couple of things are doing really well, but it's not really changing our investment focus at the moment. Right. Understood. Uh, great. And then let's move to the uh, second question now for all uh, for all the participants, all four uh, panelists. And this question actually comes from our uh, audience. And uh, I want to say thank you very much to the readers of uh, the Next Web uh, who were asked uh, to send in their questions. And uh, here comes the first one. So what do you think? What raising capital opportunities can be often found during crisis rather than issues? Uh, let us start uh, this time with Jacqueline. Well, there are fortunately quite a lot of opportunities, more so in the Netherlands, but I think that would be the case in other countries as well. In the Netherlands, there is, uh, aside from equity funding by VCs, uh, a lot of government funding uh, support around. So we have regional investment funds that can fund tickets between, say, 200k to 2 million. So that's uh, quite significant government support. I mean, other options, obviously there are a lot of other options. I think a, a lot of companies that I see are getting bridge funding from their existing investors, for example. Some VCs are willing to do some convertible notes to bridge fund new companies. Um, and then, of course, there is also alternative sources of funds. Uh, we, for example, have a company called Florein, which is a, a debt funder they uh, can do some funding for startups in, in need. Um, so there are quite a lot of sources of funds available, fortunately. Um, and of course, it starts with, you know, it's first of all, looking at what you can do internally, cut down your expenses and try to lengthen your runway as much as possible. 
Right. And speaking of the government, I can already announce that one of the next uh, podcast episodes in this series will actually talk about uh, the role of the government in this crisis and what sort of programs different governments across Europe are offering. Uh, now, uh, Itchasa, what do you think? Where do the opportunities lie for startups to raise funding? Yeah, I do think um, and definitely startups which are uh, fundraising at the moment uh, or need to fundraise. Uh, should go to funds that they have already built relationships with. I think um, Al Alistair, when um, he just spoke about uh, remote investing, and it is true that some funds like Equity, which is very distributed, or what I was before, which is M12, and we were very distributed. We are we were very used to do remote investments, but there are some funds which are not. And therefore, the fact that you have already relationships with some fans um, and they know you personally, I think those are the ones that uh, you should try to, to target, right? That's one of the things. The opportunities are also on fans, like uh, the one just uh, we just uh, Janek talked about, fans that you know they closed late last year, like our fund or uh, Janek's fund, which closed early this year. We are in a full deployment process. So those funds which were closed in the last 12 months are the ones which are going to be actively deploying. And I think there is in both cases, funds that you already know and funds that have been closed in the last 12 months are probably most likely for um, to be investing in, in, in startups. So you should start from those and try to find the right structure for both for the fund and for the entrepreneur to make that funding work because you need to also understand that the risk probably perceived by the fund might be a little bit higher. So thinking of ways and structures in which both of you can win by doing the investment, but basically in a, in a, in a maybe a little bit more flexible uh, way. And I'm not really talking about lower valuation, but it could be a, a convertible or in a bridge in a smaller round and, um, uh, and, and a little bit um, having the opportunity to double down in the next round or, or something like that. So different structures, basically. Right. Yeah, that's a very good and actually actionable uh, advice. And uh, Ali, uh, what's your take on this? It's it, broadly similar. I think the actionable advice comes down to, uh, we, we're a fan of venture investment uh, above any other type of investment. I think government investment and venture debt all have their purposes at different points in the cycle. But right now, I think it is about, for venture, for VCs, acknowledging being brave, acknowledging that we are about to enter at the start of a new cycle for the next 10 years in which we hope that the best companies of the next decade are going to be created right now. And I hope that we're now coming out of the end of phase one and the start of the next phase. I don't think we're, we're done yet, but I, I'm, I'm very excited about what we're going to do next. Right. Janneke, do you have anything to add to this uh, advice about where opportunities lie in fundraising these days? No, I think, well, I, I think there's always uh, opportunities for uh, companies that do great. So if you have great traction, um, you will be able to find a VC. Be really specific, I think, and, and find the right VC. It doesn't make sense to just approach everybody you know, because VCs do get approached a lot. And if you know that you're not the right fit in terms of face or focus, it doesn't make a lot of uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. So uh, try to to well be specific in who you approach. I think is very um, important. And um, yeah, just focus. I, I read a very good article where the focus uh, changes from uh, at least for now on um, uh, from growth to more on can you control your expenses and is your uh, net uh, ARR bigger than your net uh, burn. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense indeed. Now, Janneke, another question for you. Uh, uh, would you consider making an investment without ever meeting founders in person at all? And how did it change if it did uh, uh, from uh, pre-COVID-19 to now? Uh, yeah, we definitely would um, because we have a very data-driven approach to evaluating teams. Uh, Eva Demol, my business partner, she created a model specifically uh, to evaluate entrepreneurial teams. Um, so uh, for us, it, 
it wouldn't make a lot of difference. We would be more than happy to um, invest without meeting uh, a person. And it's actually also uh, emphasizing our uh, strength and sweet spot as a fund. Right. Have you already done that? Have you already signed checks without meeting the founders at all? We are uh, hopefully going to in the next month. Uh, we are in the process with a few. Um, and we also added uh, investors uh, to our fund uh, during this uh, time. So that's also nice. Right. Itchaso, are you still meeting your founders in person before signing checks? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, to be honest, today we were discussing about that, uh, not because we weren't, uh, we wouldn't feel comfortable doing the investment, but rather maybe compliance reasons, uh, mm -hmm. for fund processes. Um, we did an investment at the end of uh, March and, uh, they pitched to the partnership and, Uh, we did the IC, everything online. Now, the partner who was leading the round had met the founder personally. So uh, one person at least <laughs> met the founder personally before uh, we were uh, locked down. I think we will be able to do it. We are now prepared to do one investment like that. Um, and we are progressing in the, in the discussions with the company. And uh, we were more discussing the fact that um, for compliance reasons, I, we are not really sure if we could do it, but really we feel comfortable about it. And we would pro probably progress through it because it looks like we are able to, to do it, yes. Right. Yeah. Compliance angle is actually really interesting. I never, uh, I never investigated and researched that part of it. Uh, Jacqueline, how is it uh, for uh, for peak capital? Uh, how do you approach it? Well, I definitely find it quite difficult. It's easy in the first two meetings to get to know a company and learn a lot of things about the company. But there comes a point where um, the trust relationship and the chemistry that you have with somebody in person is important um, to really get a feel. And I really feel that something is missing in all of these video calls, which is, yeah, which, which is that chemistry and sort of in-person trust. And normally when you meet somebody, the way somebody walks, talks, the sort of small talk that you have at the coffee machine, etc., it's all part of the experience and trust building, relationship building, which is very fundamental in investing, especially in our phase, because we're seed phase. So we're very early investors. We have very little traction to base our uh, our decisions upon. So for us, the, the person uh, components, uh, the people factor is, is super critical. Um, at the same time, we have to, because for COVID, indeed, international travel is, is very restricted. And in a way, it's also a good exercise because I think overall we should uh, travel less for climate purposes. So I think we should build this comp new competence, but you need new ways um, to do so and to build trust. And yeah, I think one of the ways to build trust a little bit earlier, what we try to do is to do more reference calls early on, do client calls, do, uh, do people reference calls much early on in the process as sort of a bit of an, an, an substitute for trust building. And the second thing that we really try to take care of is not skip over the small talk because especially with Zoom or video calls, there's an inclination to sort of like right off the bat drive into or dive into the content and to skip a lot of the, the, the getting to know each other, sort of the small talk that you normally would have if you meet in person. Recently, I had a, a call with a guy and with a founder, and I found out that he was uh, that he was born in Easter Island in the, in the first couple of minutes on the call, and then it creates a whole different sort of connection, a different setting for the call. And I think so. You need to you know work harder to build that trust and personal connection when working remotely than versus meeting each other in person. Right, absolutely. And uh, I certainly would prefer uh, this panel to be in person. I would certainly prefer to sit uh, in a room with all of you and be able to uh, see everybody's face. But yeah, the new normal uh, is uh, means that this is probably how we're going to have our interviews in a long time now. Now, Ali, I want to, to uh, turn to you with another question from the audience. And the question goes like this. Are you seeing regional differences in the willingness of investors to invest in the short term versus holding on to dry powder? Or are the effects of the crisis, in your opinion, on investment decisions are similar globally? VC is now increasingly 
globalized. So I think there are less differences now between the US and Europe than there were, say, five years ago. And that's great for everyone. Um, in general, investors are being cautious on both sides and valuations have pulled back simply because even investors, funds, VCs are having to think about how long their powder lasts and how long their cycle is. And whereas before the trend was to two to two and a half years between raises for VCs, that's now going to extend because you've got a, a year probably in the middle, just like it is for companies. So even a venture capitalist has to think about their dry powder to invest in companies. They are the same as a company. So I think people are perhaps doing smaller rounds um, possibly on both sides of the Atlantic going to earlier stage rounds um, because they can get into more companies with less money and make their money last longer. But that's also partly because of the start of a new cycle. You want to be investing in the companies that are going to benefit from the next 10-year um, bull run, which we're going to see, which is very exciting. I think that's the same on both sides. I think equally, I am pleased to see that compared to five years ago and 10 years ago when this happened, there are less examples of VCs putting in terrible structure into deals just because they can have leverage. But we still see it a little bit, and probably a little bit more on the European side than we do on the US side. And that's a great shame. I abhor that. I think that is something that we strive never to do. Clean structure has not just been proven to be the right in a, in a bull um, run, but it has been proven to be the right thing for founders and for their investors in, in the long-term exits of companies uh, in an up-and-down cycle. Ali, why are you seeing um, more of that tendency in Europe than in the US, you think? I think it's only a little bit. It's much better than it was. Uh, great question. I think it's a little bit just because of the hangover of, frankly, European VC has still been dominated by financial investors. There are not as many operators um, around who have seen this and done this through up-and-down cycles. But as I say, I think that's changed a lot. And I think it is the st it is a minority now, whereas before it was the majority. And it's like this: people around this table who are fantastic investors who I think we're all trying to do the right thing for our companies now. And, and we should all stand strong in doing this for our founders um, because it's not just the right thing for them, but it's the right thing for the market overall. The, the other thing, but the thing I have seen that's interesting is that we have seen a lot of VCs pulling deals, especially at the beginning of the, the crisis, pulling term sheets. And that is actually, bizarrely, I saw that more in the US than we did in Europe. I think you get very transactional behavior often in the Bay Area sometimes. And that that has, again, something that we saw that is doesn't reflect well on the long-term brand. Um, founders have very long memories, and they recognize that. And yes, you might You, you might pull a term sheet because you think it's the right thing to do in the very immediate term because suddenly the, the valuation you're putting in looks very high. But that has a very long-term impact. And I think that represents the fact that there are a lot of new VCs who have never been operators or founders or VCs for the previous cycle. And they don't realize the long-term damage that does to their brand with founders. And it's much better to maybe, yes, you close a deal at a, at a slightly high valuation because it was pre-crisis terms. But long-term, um, you you're, you will benefit from doing the right thing by your founders. So that's perhaps something we saw a little bit more on the other side, which is interesting. Yeah, that's a that, that's a big discussion topic, really, that we have uh, uh, that, that we have seen on uh, European VC Twitter for a long time as well. And now I wanted also to ask uh, Itchaso, do you see any regional differences within Europe uh, if you're in touch with uh, uh, VCs uh, outside of um, in different regions of Europe itself? I can't. I haven't seen. Um, regional differences in uh, across Europe, but I've seen differences across stages of investments. Uh, what I mean with that is, I think it's a little bit linked to uh, to a certain extent what Al said, and it is we've seen many more seed deals coming through than Series A. And maybe B, and the reason is because in seed stages, many of the companies raising money uh, are using the money to build product and maybe not that much yet to go to market in very early stages. While if you invest in Series A, uh, a big, big chunk of your, of your money is going to go to this first commercial traction and obviously that commercial tra traction is going to be delayed and so i think some investors have moved a little bit earlier uh, or a little bit later uh, 
um, taking into account the difficulties on the Series A to build that traction during this time. But geographically, really, I can't, uh, I haven't seen a difference, uh, to be very honest. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, uh, I wanted to do a little bit of uh, crystal ball gazing uh, with you. Uh, Janneke, how do you think will the VC landscape change after uh, this uh, crisis? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if, if it will change a lot. Uh, I think uh, VCs also always tend to look at uh, which companies are going to be the next big thing. And uh, what that next big thing is will be different, but uh, the way they invest um, won't change a lot. I think I do hope that um, it becomes more normal to meet uh, digitally and uh, that that maybe um, has a positive effect also um, on uh, the diversity of the investments where network uh, plays a big role. And if um, that can play a little bit of a less role in the future, I think that can have a, a positive effect uh, on that side. Right, absolutely. Ali, what's your take? What do you, what do you see from where you sit? What should we expect? I, I agree there won't be a massive change. I think this is going to come as a shock to people who have not lived through this cycle. I think it's it was fascinating that through the last five to eight years, there are lots of uh, investors who have never lived through a previous cycle and so haven't seen this before. So I think this will benefit VCs who are either as an investor or as a founder have been through a previous cycle because they know what to expect and can advise their companies. They also, everyone knows that this is the start of an exciting new run for companies and some amazing companies can be built. So I hope that VCs recognize that. The other thing I think is that it does add weight to, you saw a lot of this in the previous cycle, um, talking about the rising tide lifts all ships, is a, the, the, the English phrase. It translates differently in different European languages. But that, that strategy works in a, in a strong up round. I think in, in a, an area, a period like we're going to go into for the next few years, it forces everyone, whether you're a founder or an investor, to really focus on being the number one in your category, creating new categories, and getting and driving investment into those businesses because those are the ones that are going to be the next Airbnbs, the next Ubers, the next Googles, etc. This is not a case of, of one and then it's lifting 50 other companies behind and you might make some money by being in one of those other 50. No, this is about being bold and making bets on these really category-defining companies. And I think that's what's going to define the, the next few years of investing. And that's super exciting. Right. It's Chasso. I wanted to turn to you with the next question. Uh, this is again one coming from the audience, uh, and it seemingly is uh, coming from a startup founder uh, whose uh, question goes like this. My normal pitch doesn't work anymore. What do investors want to hear in order to close around? What is their focus now? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. And um, uh, definitely we can um, provide a couple of uh, tips um, in that sense. I do think that founders should adapt a little bit the pitch to the current uh, state of the market. I think seeing founders reacting to it and, and adopting different communication channels, messages, ways to interact with their customers and so on uh, shows that they are prepared in any circumstance to change and adapt to that. So I think that is very, very positive and that's something that we want to see. So I would say one, um, introduce and adapt your pitch to the circumstances and, and introduce one or two slides about what are you specifically doing in order to adapt and to take advantage of the current circumstances, if, if that is the case. Two, I would say you need to build much more trust remotely. So for that, things like um, Jacqueline uh, mentioned, which are um, much more communication, reference calls, product demos and so on really helped, right? Because then you can build that relationship remotely. And I think that's the second thing you should do and, and, and be very, very close to them. Um, and three, try to think of a structures of the round that can reduce a little bit the risk 
for both sides. So it gives you the opportunity to work re- with really good investors, but at the same time gives the investors the opportunity to feel a little bit more comfortable to invest in, in a company. Maybe three months ago, uh, you were pre-revenue and you were thinking of raising a 10 million round. Maybe right now that doesn't work. Um, so you need to adapt that. And being clear and crystal open about it, I think it is it is good because uh, I think uh, investors understand that the market is different and and they will in fact appreciate the fact that you are adapting that uh, to the circumstances. So I think that would be good. Right. Absolutely. Ali, what do you want to hear? Much is the same. I think it depends on your, it's very specific to your stage. I think if your message isn't working now, what that suggests to me is that your message to begin with wasn't strong enough. The, the best message is the best market, the best ideas, the best articulation of um, what you're building will stand the test of time. But you have to acknowledge the specifics of your market, the specifics of the geography that take into account COVID, and and as we talked about before um, from Intaxio, what the perhaps the amount you're raising has been adjusted, or and, and at least acknowledging the impact of COVID on your industry. So you have to be a lot more granular about how the next few years is going to look like. It's not just a great idea with some nice pictures behind it. You have to be specific. You have to acknowledge the reality. But what you're seeing generally is investors just being more picky, right? Being more cautious. And so only the best ideas are going to get funded. And if and if you're being specific and you are being re- realistic about the money you're raising and about the individual effects of COVID on your industry, and you're still not getting traction, then partly that's the factor of unfortunately where we are for the next few months i think it will come back quickly um but the second thing is you probably have to look at your core value prop of what you're articulating is it strong enough because as we said before we're not in a rising tide lifts all ships everyone gets funded situation right and, and that's ultimately healthy but it does force you to be really really smart and very focused and even more driven right absolutely and is this something that you are seeing uh, happening to startups right now uh, yeah, we are we are seeing that. I mean, I think it, it is definitely a harder fundraising environment. But the best, the truism is the best companies always get funded, and that's true at seed stage. It's true at you know late stage, Series C, Series D. Um, but the bar is higher. Right. And uh, we are getting towards the end of the time that we have allocated uh, for this uh, panel. So I have a question uh, for everyone, just a round of advice. One piece of advice per person for startups that have to be fundraising right now. Uh, what should they do? Uh, starting with you, Janneke. Yeah, I think uh, now that, that the whole storytelling part is a little bit more difficult, uh, data becomes even more important. So uh, make sure you have uh, a strong numbers to show and, and, and focus on that and add your story um, to the numbers. I think uh, that will um, get you the best traction and try to be original in your well, or, or original, uh, try to think different about networking because you, well, you can't meet people at events now. So how can you make sure you get their attention? I had a really funny uh, video in my LinkedIn from somebody introducing themselves and, um, it, it was different. And, uh, so I, well, I replied to most emails, but this one, I was like, wow, this is cool. And, uh, definitely let's jump on a call. Right. It's just, uh, what's your advice? So I would say um, I'm a very product-focused uh, and led investor. So I, I love founders who think of strategies in which products can grow uh, by themselves. And, and so I think now more than ever, I will be looking for the strategies and I will advise founders to think of strategies that they can build around the product so that they can build network effects and, and allow users to onboard um, uh, and use the product and get in love with the product before even they start paying for it, because that is what is going to build loyalty. So I will look for those strategies which allows them to grow, allow them to grow efficiently, because right now marketing and sales doesn't work. So that's that I would say. Right. Uh, Jacqueline, uh, how do startups fundraise now? Yeah, I think for me, the, the main difference of pre-COVID and now is um, 
the lack of, uh, or, or that is more difficult to build trust in relationships. So I think as a founder, you need to realize that and see how can you build trust. And, and one way to do so is to ensure that you get personal introductions. Uh, Itraso mentioned it, I think, uh, try to contact VCs that you already have a relationship with or get a personal introduction. I think something else that contributes to uh, trust is transparency. Be super transparent about how you are being affected by COVID and what you are doing about it. So I think transparency builds trust. And a third thing you could potentially do to build trust is at an earlier point in time, offer, you know, to do customer reference calls uh, so that you build more uh, trust relationships between the founder and investor. Right. Makes perfect sense. Now, Ali, uh, wrap it up. Uh, what's your advice? Oh, that's been great advice. I haven't, don't have too much to add. I think it is slightly different by stage. At a later stage, you have to be very clear on how your unit economics will survive in an area which your funding needs to go longer. And that comes back to efficiency of business model, how well executing you are, and uh, and the dynamics of your specific market. At an early stage, I think all of the previous points are totally true. I would just add one parting thought, which is there is there is a great phrase from Warren Buffett and many other legendary investors, which is be brave when everyone else is being fearful. And, and that is ex totally the case now. Um, the best, biggest, most transformative companies of the next 10 years are going to be formed right now. And so if you're an early stage founder, now is the time to be doing it. Now is the time to be being bold. And notwithstanding the difficulty of getting to investors in a lockdown, don't let your ideas become iterative, small things. Go for the big stuff. And I think that is what we need to see over the next 10 years. Right. This is the this is absolutely an absolutely great way to finish this up. Thank you so much, everyone. Once again, our great panelists of today. It's Chasso del Palacio, investment director at Notion, uh, Jacqueline Fanden and uh, partner at Peak Capital, Yannick Nissen, co-founder of Capital T, and of course Alistair Mitchell, partner at Equity Ventures. You know, if you if we were in a conference venue, I would certainly ask the audience to give you a huge round of applause. But uh, you know, all I can do now is just uh, is just to use a recording for. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. You are absolutely Thank you. amazing. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. Now, before we wrap things up, a quick shout out. If you are a startup founder, check out Data Market Services Accelerator funded by the European Commission. Alongside many data-driven trainings, DMS also provides 50 selected startups with bespoke investor matchmaking. The DMS team will send the profile of each startup to relevant VCs and facilitate meetings, all of it equity-free. Head over to datamarketservices.eu to find out more and make an application. Now, this is it for our today's episode. Thank you for listening. I do hope you enjoyed it. Please help us spread the word. Tell a friend or colleague about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. This episode is created in collaboration with our friends over at The Next Web. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at podcast at techEU. Wherever you are, we hope you can stay safe and take care of yourself and people around you. Have a good week, and I'm going to talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye.